it's good to be on. Thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I enjoy being on, and I, I'm going to call this audible right here, right now. And I should have told you it before we started. But hey, yeah, I, is... I, I didn't, I didn't know what was happening, but I'm happy to, it's happening. <laughs> well, you know, it's part of the magic of live. I think we conceived of this as I would start on your show, and then 30 minutes in, people would jump onto my show. I, I think that's too complicated. I'm already <laughs> doing a show later tonight with Ryan Glassbeagle at 8 p.m. Pacific. Yes, yes, indeed. I would get some extra money from call-in if I officially did another <laughs> show. But I think that's just putting everybody through too much of a rigmarole. So let's just keep it keep it locked on your channel right now and not do All the right. switchover. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Um, that means the second half hour I had planned to be barely paying attention and just a uh-huh you. <laughs> I need to scrap. But, um, I mean, one thing I do like to do at the end of my shows is offer the guests the opportunity to ask me questions. So maybe I'll just do that at like 440 rather, or 540 rather than the final 10 minutes and we'll kind of, uh, we'll do a little compromise. How's that sound? That sounds good. I'll try to come up with some good questions. I do think you're one of the best NBA reporters out there. I'm just going to butter you up right now. I think you're underrated. I don't know how you feel about that. Do you think you're under? We'll we'll, we'll do the question segment later. We'll get into (laughs) all of it later. Um, Well, I mean, I really appreciate the beat or the lane or whatever you want to call it that you are exploring as well, because I think to do my job the way I ethically want to um and like humanely want to as a human want to is that if that's the correct terminology Mm. is to not explore the narratives that you like to unspool um (laughs) and i like that i think there's crossover potential um being that like i remember when i wrote and not to puff my chest out here but i remember as i was writing the lakers omar wilkes conspiracy rumor thing I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if this is a thing that would maybe be part of something Ethan would write. And I think you did kind of cut. I don't, I don't know if I would imagine you were already working on something and that just kind of fell into place. Um, but I wasn't necessarily like surprised. And I was, and I was, I guess, a little happy, a little fist pump that <laughs> you gave a little megaphone to it. Cause I think that type of stuff is just very important and it doesn't, get covered a lot because people are honestly a little afraid to to, t- to cover that stuff. Oh, definitely. And you did a great job with it. So um, I was happy that somebody did expository that I could quote as opposed to trying <laughs> to uh, unspool the tangled web of it. And we should probably do the expository for the people listening. Um, it, because I think it was a story that should have gotten even more attention. It got attention but there is something insane about the modern NBA where the ultimate outcome of this story presently, and we'll get into the expository, but the ultimate outcome of it is if you're a Laker fan, you're going, either this guy is the next general manager of my team, or this is all a smokescreen in a war between CAA and Clutch. It's one of the two, which is a very odd thing um, about the modern NBA. And I think I was just doing a podcast with a couple of comedians um, at four o'clock to warm up my vocal cords to do this. And one thing I was talking to them about, about my gig is that a lot of what I do on a weekly basis is sifting through the rumor and figuring out what is factual enough to bring to the surface. And honestly, 
as I'm sure you will agree to me, part of the job that's the most interesting is the stuff that this, there's no way to ever really truly pin down. And the the rumor and the the big white whales of, oh, this person is apparently getting paid under the table by that person, which yeah. that stuff is, is the stuff that I think oh, everyone loves to talk it, about. <laughs> you hear about it all the time, too, because you can't see into the deals that, that they cut with Nike or Adidas or Under Armour. And so you'll hear rumors that, hey, this guy's healthy enough to play as a rookie, but there are all these benchmarks he won't hit for his sneaker brand. Um, you know, all whatever team, right? That kind of thing that if you're only playing half the year, you're not going to hit. And so he's being held out in order to get that money from the sneaker company. But there's almost, there's no way to pin that story down unless you have some leak of, uh, of financial documents. Um, you can't really sure. get a handle on it. I mean, there are stories that might even be apocryphal of, and people can maybe read between the lines, how a, a, a big superstar was signed to a big sneaker brand. And the story goes that the uh, sneaker rep who brokered the deal uh, went above what he was allowed to do by asking the sneaker company to give him kind of a mock-up contract of what it would look like to pay the guy X amount, way more than the amount that he was uh, licensed to do. He turns around, he has the guy sign the fake document. At this point, they are pot committed. They can't back out. It would be a public relations nightmare. And so <laughs> the company just relents. They sign the guy. It ultimately works out. Now, you hear these things. They are very difficult to confirm, which is why I'm not giving names right now to avoid lawsuit. I believe it to be true, but man, is it hard to prove that one. There's one story that I know definitively to be true, not as CD scandalous, but just kind of interesting that I, I first came across when I was at Sports Illustrated that I just I can't do because it's I mean, unless I have some government contacts, there's apparently a very high profile NBA player who has the same name as somebody who's on like the top, 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 do not fly, do not fly list. Mm. And this is apparently a big roadblock that comes up every time this person wants to charter a private jet, which is purportedly a plenty of times being that they are one of the most uh, well-known NBA hmm. players. Like even something like that, that I, it's not, I, I'm comfortable to say that much detail, because that's what I know to be true. Um, but like, I wouldn't be able to, to bring that, you know, quote, I, I want I don't even want to say a player with the, uh, the title of the show being, please don't aggregate this. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just imagine, I mean, imagine a Steph Curry, for example, I, I'll just throw that out there. Cause I, I, again, that is not what the name is, but I mean, mm -hmm. that would just be an unbelievable story. If I mean, I, I, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll end my rant there. Well, yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge. And uh, if it was easy, then more people would do it. But yeah, there are those white whales out there. We're going, oh man, if only, if only I could get that, if only I could confirm that. But sometimes somebody disconfirms a juicy story for me and they're apologetic about it. But I tell yeah. them, <laughs> I tell them that I, you know, I need to know that too. Right. I, I don't want to just put out some some that's total bullshit, have it be a humiliation, if not a legal problem. Um, it's good to have somebody tell you that the narrative you have in your head about why something's interesting ultimately yeah. doesn't work out. That's as helpful as uh, confirming it as occasionally happens. For sure. Sometimes. um 
Well, so I'll say two things to that. The first is that sometimes, from my experience, they'll tell you, well, here's what the actual story is. And this is why other people are perceiving it to be the shiny curtain. But what's actually happening behind the curtain is the story. No one else has really asked me, so I'll just give it to you. Or I'll tell you, and you can mm. take the first breadcrumbs and find what the real story is. So that's always been a nice key turning aha moment when you, you, you're you disappointed. but um, it's this is what it is um but they also like i said it can turn into another angle the other thing is i wonder if you do this too sometimes i then find myself not just writing for the fans which i do feel like is my job and and duty not to be too capital j corny um sometimes i lose track of that and i do start to write for the nba community to like dispel something that I know is going on and I don't yeah. know if that's like right or wrong to be doing, but I do know that, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people in the NBA are reading what I write. So yeah. is that also like a platform to be showcasing a knowledge of, or like doing journalism for a, a private group of people, well, if that makes sense. It's, it's, I, it's kind I, of like a confusing gray area. Well, I, I love that you're at least worrying about it because I don't think enough people even worry about it or even conceive of themselves as writing for the fans at all. And that's a problem with the industry. Um, it's inevitable. I mean, sometimes some stories are going to be a little more arcane and maybe a little bit more inside basketball and others are going to be more broadly appealing. But as a lodestar, I think you should always be asking yourself, what does my customer want? You know, what are they into potentially? You know, I've got a weird thing where it's mainly generated by stuff that I'm interested in, but that's not, I I can't just talk purely about what I'm interested in. Otherwise I'd just start writing articles about my son. Um, (laughs) There needs to be some sort of sense of what would somebody find interesting? And I think my loyalty is to them. What I sometimes see happen is that reporters will um, rationalize not pursuing a story that will ruffle some feathers and maybe make some of their sources mad at them or just some people they've got a good dynamic with mad at them. And they say it's all in pursuit of a bigger story. But I found (laughs) that often to not be the case. And I think that it's not about uh, a rational, practical decision. It's sometimes just about avoiding the discomfort when you show up at the arena and somebody's mad at you, as as has happened to me on occasion. Yeah, I think I think big, the quote unquote bigger story is actually just the next story. Yeah, and you definitely sometimes have to make a choice um, whether or not to make that next story more difficult. However, I personally think if you are going about it just honestly from as objective a chair as you can, because I think uh, journalism itself has been bastardized in this country, unfortunately being that, I mean, we know this, um, but mostly being that everyone who has uh, felt like it's, I mean, it's obvious that you can, it's impossible to be completely objective as a human being discussing something oh, regarding yeah. other human oh. beings. How, however, yeah, like the job is to be as close to it as you can. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's going to be a little more difficult to write about team. Y if you, you know, in March, if in January, you talk about that GM's job security being what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, 
and I certainly am not purely objective in that way, but I'm lucky because I have a lot of discretion. I might write one or two stories a week. There's no expectation that if I'm being critical of one, I have to be critical of the other. I, I just, yeah. I mean, there are only so many topics, but it is true that you know, there are people I have opinions about in the industry where I think this guy plays a little fast and loose, or this guy might be in some respects a little fraudulent, but he's a nice guy. <laughs> I just yeah. don't feel like saying anything. I don't feel like saying anything. And I will fully admit that that happens. And I will fully admit that I do that. I don't know if it was a big story, then you have to just tell the big story. But on the margins, I certainly, I certainly do a little bit of that where it's, well, why would I do this? I'm not covering everything. Why would I make this guy's life tougher if I, if I don't think he's a bad guy overall? Yeah, I had a I had a call this season, and it was based. It was a story that that didn't have to be reported, but it was interesting, and it was, in my opinion, necessary color around someone's job status that everyone in the league was talking about. And they called me late at night, which like I was with friends on the road, like I was not in like a place where I really wanted to be talking shop to that degree with someone. And they obviously were calling me saying from the perspective of like, look, my job's on the line. Like you're not making anything easier here. And like, I I definitely am sympathetic to that. Like, I I don't think that's something that has to be ignored, but at the same time, like if that is the story then I just think it's, I think it's the job to bring it to light in the most respectful and responsible manner. Because I remember, I mean, I always thought about it this way, but when I got laid off at Sports Illustrated in 2019, like my name was in a lot of articles. People were talking about, I mean, not just me, it was many, many SI people, but like to see, you know, the Washington Post and the Boston Globe and like others talking about that. Like I definitely, it was a pretty clear, like, recognition point for me about how there really are two yous in society and especially in a smaller public facing you know industry based off the internet and entertainment like there's the reputation of you and then there's you yeah like they both they bleed into each other they impact each other and like you do have to be um conscious i think as a reporter as a commentator as of people's lives and, and industry at large that like the reputation does impact the the human at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's weird. It's, it, it's made me more empathetic. Not that that's particularly useful to be yeah. more empathetic, but in that respect I am. And because I've been asked about how I felt when Kevin Durant went after me in that press conference. And ultimately while I don't think he was being reasonable and I do think he was trying to distract from the fact that he was leaving, I did just feel a little more empathetic at the end of it towards his predicament because it was the first time I really found myself in the sports news cycle and it was deranging and it was highly uncomfortable to turn on the TV and see people debating whether or not you're good at your job. And then you realize, oh my God, this is all the time for these guys. <laughs> this is yeah. constant where they're, oh, yeah. they, they get embarrassed by something. They fail. They did this, they did that. And two guys are on the TV 
uh, arguing about their reputation and their their flaws. And yeah, to quote Badman, that's what the money's for. But psychologically, I don't think we're really built for it, or at least few people are really built for it. And if you're a certain kind of person, you're especially not built for it. So I came out of that going, yeah, I, I don't want their life as great as it seems. It's There's a lot that comes with it. So that, that, that's, that'll be a good segue into a question I have for you. And then we've got Samir on deck in the call queue. Samir, please hold tight. I know you've been waiting for a while. I do want to get to you. I've got this one more question. Then we'll pop over to you, sir. Um, you know, with of late, especially it really came about um, for me with the James Harden trade stuff in January. I, I find it really funny that, a lot of people in one corner of the NBA Twitter world said, well, I'm from Philly. I wrote a book about heavily based on the Sixers. I used to be a Sixers fan. I'm doing this to get James Harden to the Sixers. <laughs> and then there were other people who were like, well, he lives in Brooklyn. He used to go to a lot of Nets games. <laughs> He's clearly doing this to carry Shaw Marks's water. And... <laughs> <laughs> that was that was interesting to me from the I've never been like, and, and the answer is that, that both are true and they work in no. concert beautifully. <laughs> no, One is, hand washes the other. No, continue. The answer for me is that I mean, I don't get leaked anything, man. I mean, very rare. Mm. I get I get tips. I, I very yeah. rarely does someone call me and say, hey, this is what's going down. We decided to like give this to you because also people are aware that I am not going to write something just how you want me to write it. Like if you give me a, if you give me a quote unquote leak, like I'm going to then make a bunch of other calls and round it out and do real journalism because that's not public, that's public relations. Um, So what I've found now is that I'll, I'll see stuff get aggregated and I'll click on it just to see if it's accurate from what I'd said or reported, what have you. And people just willfully, gleefully say, like, this is why this is being leaked. And as as a journalist, like, especially not in what I cover, like, in, and, I, and I, I chose to go into sports and I made this conscious decision. I, I, like, thought about this in college. Like, is it, like, I made a conscious decision not to get into straight news, um, being that the stakes are just very, very high. One of my best friends from the radio station at school, the newspaper, um, we were at the Globe together. Uh, Zolan Kano Youngs is the White, Horse cor- White House correspondent for the New York Times right now. Like, mm. not to say I would have gotten there, but that's to say that's not a job that I would want at all. It's, no. the, 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 the pressures there are unthinkable to me. Um, however, like, I think it's responsible as a as a news person and as a as a citizen to be apprised on what's happening on local and federal government levels blah 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 like i do believe it's responsible to figure out what certain information is coming to you when and why and how and where at the same time i think in the nba world it's been kind of like uh it's become it's become almost like a malpractice in a sense of how people are trying to figure out quote unquote the Mm. leak being that there are a lot of times when things are leaked and I know the reason why, and I see the public takes the exact opposite reason as to why it was leaked. And then they bash the people 
who who presumably leaked it, even though those people didn't leak it. And yeah. I do wonder if the pendulum has kind of swung in the wrong direction in the sports world. I'm not saying. I mean, probably have you ever in, had that that feeling where some where you see people uh, kind of coming to you with an assumption of who gave you the story and you can't reveal how you got it, but it's so tempting to go. You're so wrong. You're so wrong. You you have no idea how wrong you are about where I actually got this. Yeah. I mean, it happens to me pretty regularly. And I think also people think people also don't, I think give the credit to go to your underrated point at the top where it's due Mm -hmm. being that like, Sometimes you just find it out, and no yeah. one wants oh, and it by the way, out. people don't people don't like to lie. So when you've got it and you come to them, you know, to quote Doyle Brunson in poker, you're putting a man to a decision. <laughs> you know, exactly. they can either they can either kind of look stupid and pretend to not know what you're talking about, throw up some defense, or they don't know who you're talking to. They might want to give their two cents on it. You're sort of it's kind of an ambush in a way, um, yeah. and. You know, the most dishonest thing I think I've done in a way, it's really a, a, a sin of omission versus commission, is that sometimes I would get a tip and I wasn't totally sure of it, but I would take it to the person I needed for confirmation and I would just act like I knew everything already. And that <laughs> way you kind of put them in a position where they can lie to you or they cannot lie to you. And if you already know everything, then, you know, you've got the goods in their eyes and they're going to let their guard down and they're not going to hide the secret, basically. But it's crazy. It's crazy how fine-tuned a sense teams have of what you should and shouldn't know. That's the thing I discovered. I, I wonder if you've discovered something similar where they almost have it in different tiers. There's the stuff they want everybody to know. There's the <laughs> stuff they'll kind of tell you on the sly. And they're comfortable with you knowing, but they don't want anybody else knowing. And then there's the stuff that they don't even want you knowing, that they know yeah. is in the inner, inner sanctum. And when you get to that, when you get to that, that thing, that final level, there's this kind of shock and something's gone wrong and there's been a meltdown in a nuclear reactor kind of reaction to it. Yeah, I think the, the closest barometer I have to that to like when I when like I guess the way that that alarm goes off that I have found out something that escaped the inner sanctum to use your uh, terminology is when a lower level person at a team doesn't know but they yeah. say something to the effect of like I thought that was the case like they were clearly <laughs> talking about it with their bubble mm. of the totem pole and. Yeah. That's also, you know, why some people like to talk because they can find out stuff that benefits their yeah. own standing that they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Oh, and, and coaches, it's crazy. I've heard so many stories where the coach is leaking some unflattering things about the players as part of a motivation tactic that they oh, want yeah. the player to do more of X or Y and they're playing the media in that way. And that happens all the time as well, where there's a specific purpose to why you're getting the Intel. Absolutely. It's uh, I mean, it is also like a game of sometimes trying to figure out why a rumor is echoing in the chamber. Like what if you, tr- if you trace it back sometime, I mean, I mean Things that have not been written about, right? The, oh, this coach is under siege because he spent X amount of dollars at some 
not suitable for work establishment and tried to expense it as a business expense type stuff um, like yeah. those types of rumors. Um, Samir, do we do we have you? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for uh, what's going on, guys. Man. Hey. Yeah, so I just had a two-part question when it comes right. to voting on these awards. So do, what do you guys think about having some sort of criteria um, when it comes to voting for these awards for the media? Or if not that, like more transparency on like what's going into your decision-making? Because like, mm-hmm. I, I know Kevin O'Connor has been very transparent. He, you know, he posts videos on like what went into his rookie of the year and all these awards. But then you guys, then you have guys like Stephen A. Smith who doesn't even know who's on the roster and <laughs> says outlandish mm. things, you know. And so it's like, I feel like if there's more transparency, then people would, wouldn't have this sort of vitriol when it comes to, you know, who's voting on the awards. Hmm. It's a great question because I'll be candid in saying that this is definitely the subject matter that I, I initially broached Ethan and talking about. That's why it's the, uh, the first of our uh, descriptions in the episode. But I also did want to pick his brain on the media landscape. So we, we, that was a nice appetizer for, for this question. Um, and I will say that to also say to kind of also add on to your question to Samir, uh, Samir to Ethan being that um, I personally – I do not have a vote and I do not want to vote. I never wanted to vote because I think it's pretty, um, the word isn't wrong, but it's a different word. I, I, I it doesn't seem appropriate and, and appropriate. Not the right word either. It's too much, too much power you feel or too much, you know, too much stress because it's, it's influence in an odd way. It's influence, it's influence in a way. In an odd way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I would have wanted a vote when I was a beat writer and I was just really in it and I'm going to every arena. Um, now, I mean, I'm barely an NBA media member, if I am at all. <laughs> I, I watch the Warriors on the exercise bike, and that is the extent of... Uh, it's not Can you still get of- a credential to any game that you... <laughs> That's not the NBA Finals, if you ask, do you think? I, I tested it out at Chase, and they did give me a credential to You're show up. You're an NBA media member. Do <laughs> you think? So that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the metric for it? Maybe, perhaps. But that's my home field. So, you know, you know I don't know. I don't know the same rules that apply at Staples. I'd have, to really, I'd have to really test it out. Although at one point in my life, it is like being a carny, being part of a secret society where I, I visited a friend down in L.A., and then a friend who was working with the Clippers said, show up, you know, just show up to the game. Let's hang out. And I hit the Clippers up. I got my media credential. I walked into Staples and I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. This is a weird secret order where these little, uh, you know, 20, how many, how many arenas are there in, in uh, you know, North America? I can't remember. Is it 28 something? But like, I can just walk into any one of these uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> just on a lark that's pretty that's pretty nice um so yeah but anyway yeah i i would <laughs> not want to have a vote right now is what i was leading up to i don't know enough i i would definitely not want to influence things not knowing hey, enough can, can i just add quickly yeah, and to your point ethan about knowing enough i think that's why uh coaches and players i think should have a say like you know how an nba fan I agree with that. because they're the ones in the film room film rooms right they're they're looking at tendencies they're looking at all these things and they see game to game how you know guys are being defended like all that kind of stuff right so um especially when there's like incentives tied to like like contract incentives tied to 
for sure. all NBA and stuff. So yeah, I just want to add that. I've got I've got a crazy reform. Um, I don't think coaches should have a say. Not head coaches. Uh, and I don't even know if I think players should have a say. Uh, I actually, I mean, yeah, they're going to, they're going to, especially because they're going to bitch if they don't. But I think assistant <laughs> coaches, assistant coaches are the ones doing the prep work who I've found yeah. have the, um, the most uh, pointed opinions on opponents because they kind of dress everything up to present to the head coach as the final product. And they actually have to uh, look ahead of time. They have to do the scout on the game where it's uh it's this assistant coach's scout you know he's got uh he's got the rockets and the next series he's got the jazz they're the ones really in it so i'm sure that in a lot of cases the head coach's votes are actually the the assistant coach's votes laundered through the head coach but i almost think that instead of giving it to head coaches it should be the assistants i will say yeah, to that point, point ethan i got i i haven't done it um nearly as much the last couple of years but um, due to COVID, but one of my favorite things about covering the league has been when teams come into the city and go to shoot around. Someone doesn't take the team bus; instead, you take them out to lunch or a, yeah. a beer or whatever. And um, there was a one of the few trips or meals, whatever that I've done this year. Um, there was a team in town, and he brought his fiance, uh, a friend of mine. He brought his fiance on the trip, and she was kind of doing the whole like. So are we on the record? Like, what mm-hmm. is this type deal? And she asked, like, why? Because this the friend was a video coordinator. And she asked, why would I want to talk to him? He doesn't know anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said to her, it's not, it's not about the information necessarily. Like, this guy knows who's good and who's being respected by coaches and what player is being, you know, considered – someone that a lot of teams are just really scouting more and having a scheme against more like that stuff is just very valuable background knowledge to have going into conversations about the free agent market trades, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I do think that like those types of people are probably the, like the, from the assistant coaches working on the scouts down to the video interns, like those guys probably have, and gals probably have the best assessment of that. Um, of that answer. The other thing that bothers me about the not, it's not just the stakes of the contract stuff. It's the fact that it's all controlled by the media. We've now created this economy where every single player who is up for an award or wants to be up for an award does a whole media tour. And people then, I mean, this year I noticed a lot of those sit downs were being, crafted as so-and-so comes by the blank blank podcast to make his case Mm -hmm. for DPOI. But usually they were, those were baked into like, Oh, I got John Morant as a sit down and we do this whole wide ranging interview, but it's really poised to be a PR campaign for that person's award. That has always bothered me to a certain extent. Like it's behind the scenes, you know, what people might not know is that, the PR guy for a team will put a lot of their energy and sense of whether or not they're doing a good job in pushing these awards. And, and, you know, especially for teams that aren't going to win the championship. I remember uh, Raymond Ritter, the Cosmic Workaholic PR head honcho of the Warriors when the Warriors were worse, was constantly on this push. And so 
uh, that's that's a lot of it since they're the ones determining uh, when the interviews happen and who gets the interviews. So that aspect of the information economy, I think, is is hidden. And even if people get a sense of it, I think that's that's a great point that that's that's part of it. And you're right. It does incentivize it does incentivize a kind of stock upiness to the media that wouldn't oh, yeah. otherwise exist because then there are also these fears about keeping these guys happy. If they're not getting oh, yeah. the awards and they're not getting the love and they feel like guys elsewhere are getting the love and getting the awards, then he might leave. And that terrifies these teams. And it's not a dynamic that would involve the media ordinarily. And it's very different. Like I sat down with Zach Levine at all-star weekend while he was hopping Mountain Dew and like, sure. I put in a little thing about Mountain Dew and then I had what I thought was like a pretty, uh, like not it was it was it was a it was an actual tangible interview like we talked about his contract coming up we talked about his involvement in free agent you know recruitment for Alonzo and Demar and that type of stuff um like that's different like I don't cover Mountain Dew but if I'm get, if I'm only getting a player on the pretext that we're talking about his campaign for an award that directly impacts his contract like that's that's weird to me and yeah. it, it definitely in some lanes bordering on unethical and i know it's like who cares what ethics in this social media aggregation world that we but, live in but there are just but certain like things that yeah. that make you uncomfortable i mean it's just an animal instinct i remember in 2015 the warriors had exploded and there was that all-star game in new york city um I'm trying to remember if that was All-Star 2015 or 2016. I believe it was 15. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm covering that All-Star weekend. Everybody wants a piece of Steph Curry at that point. I'm covering the Warriors. So obviously I want a Steph Curry interview for ESPN. They're very demanding at ESPN. Um, And so the NBA comes to me and they say, look, Steph's doing this thing. Uh, He's with State Farm now. And you know that, you know, that whole campaign of Chris Paul and Cliff Paul. Well, it turns out that, that Steph has a twin and we were thinking that maybe <laughs> you could interview the, you know, the twin, you know, Stefan Curry. Well, what was the name for these? Was it Steve Curry? I, I can't remember. I think it was right? Steve, Steve or Stefan. Yeah. It couldn't have been anything else. Yeah. And he's going to dress up in his sort of glasses twin outfit and, you know, maybe you start off with a question about State Farm and then you can do the rest of the interview. And I, th- this sort of just fear kind of shoots through me of, oh, my God, do I have to do this? I, I called my boss. I called uh, Henry Abbott and I told him the situation. I'm like, hey, is this something I, I, I like, do I just have to do this? Is that the deal? And he said, no, it's OK. You can you can turn it down. OK, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. But, you know, it's like it, I don't need a whole explanation of the ethics involved or whatever to know that that may be quite uncomfortable. And I did not want to do it. <laughs> I will say right now, if I was in those shoes, I probably my first instinct is to ask Stefan questions about Steph as if he's like a member <laughs> of his camp. Like that would be my first initial, maybe, maybe that's, that's the wrong. Just have reaction. fun with it. Yeah, yeah. Just have fun with it. But like also see if maybe while literally wearing the Stefan hat, will he say something that he wouldn't have said as Steph that is coming from <laughs> Steph himself. That probably would have been, and not in like a dishonest, stoopy way, but in like, you're going to give me a dumb, goofy, yeah, like, you just um, show I'm, up. Yeah, maybe show up in glasses with a pork pie hat and 
You go, hey, I'm I'm Evan Strauss with some goofy accent. Yeah. Just get yeah. it. Let's just get weird. If we're gonna get weird. Let's get weird. Um, the other aspect of the MVP conversation, and thank you again, Samir, for the question to, to steer us on task. Um, I mean, this year, the to me, I'm not on Twitter that much anymore. I, I mean, I have my tweet deck up every day as I'm working, but like, I'm very happy with how low, how much lower my usage is. I know from at least anecdotal uh, evidence, you seem to that seems to be your case as well. But yeah. from from my my limited my my more limited exposure to the platform, it seems like how people have ultimately or how people ultimately voted for the MVP award and probably other awards too. But MVP was the one that got the most attention. Being that I mean, it is the most uh, it, it is the biggest of them all. It seems like the narrative war was the whole debate. It wasn't really about which player had the best argument, but what was the best argument for which player? Mm. Can, you, can you explain that one? That's interesting. That's like, like a, a Zen cone. Yeah, because to me, and, and this goes to back to also what Samir said about having like, like a, like a standard or forget the word he used, um, like a rubric for what actually should be a voter or what the awards actually should be. I've always, I mean, I generally think the Will Smith Oscars moment was a moment, right? But the fact that mm. the Oscars even exist or we're even talking about MVP, kind of silly to me. Like, yeah. I remember in college um, when I was in a fraternity, we had Brother of the Week as like a weekly dumb award at the meeting. I'm going to guess A.E. Pie. I'm going to profile You know you. it, baby. You know it. <laughs> and I remember making a joke because Brother of the Week was always nominated to like the social chair who did a really good job planning the thing that he just did on Saturday. And I was like, so we're going to give a guy an award for doing his job. Like that, <laughs> that's the, that's the worst scale of the awards culture. The other one is like, we need to see who's the best of the best. Really no other reason other than like marketing exposure dollars, you name it. I mean, what's yep. more America than that? So the fact that all, all the voting aside, like in the, in the NBA, like the MVP does mean something now. Like it does, like it just has a whole decades oh, long history. It, it's like now a cudgel against you. Uh, exactly. If you, if you don't do what people want you to do in the playoffs, that's that's primary function. As far as I can see in the NBA discourse currently is exactly. to uh, bash you over the head with for uh, disappointing people. So, if, so if it does have, some real stakes now, especially contract stuff, especially, I mean, anyone up for an MVP award in one season, probably going to be a hall of famer regardless. But I mean, even the hall of fame is another, is another stupid cousin of this exact conversation <laughs> of who gets in, who doesn't, whatever. But all that's to say to the the argument of the argument thing, like it hasn't become just who is the MVP. It's now become, well, what is the smartest argument to, to bear all and which argument will obviously trump all the other arguments. And then once that argument is the argument, right? Like Jokic in this example, <laughs> all his statistical whatevers, which I remember, you know, as everyone of my generation did trying to mimic Bill Simmons when I first started, that thing that I think if, if he didn't start this and someone else did, I, I apologize for not giving them the credit, but the whole thing of like, player A stat line, player B stat mm. line, and you can mix up all the stats. 
you can use stats to make an argument over anybody over anybody. So once the Jokic, the Vorp, and the box score plus minus, and the first person to do this, 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 and this, and the first to lead his team, blah, blah, blah. Once that became the in vogue, the smart take, the yeah. smart opinion, I felt like as an observer of the Twitter conversation, that started to steer people away from maybe voting who they thought mm. was the true MVP, whether it was Embiid or Giannis or whoever. And maybe it was Jokic. Maybe Jokic is the MVP. I remember like, this will get a little religious and biblical, but I remember as a kid, I had this dumb like thought that there was such a thing as like overall right. And like in heaven, like God mm. and his angels were like laughing on a big screen TV watching as us dumb humans picked the obviously wrong answer. Like maybe Jokic <laughs> was the right answer. Right? I, I, I think I like, that's my new metric that you're coming up with. I'm down with this. What would God want us to choose for MVP? Who would God's choice be for uh, the yeah. most valuable player? Clearly so maybe it is. Maybe it is Jokic. Maybe it's Embiid. Maybe it's Giannis. I don't know. But the better argument or the smarter argument or the hotter take argument or whatever you want to adjective it up with became Jokic. And to me, that's the next iteration of this whole bad awards commentary, you know, the situation that we have being that it's not even to me about this truly coming together as a community to decide who was the MVP which shouldn't matter, but does matter for all these other reasons. (laughs) And it's become this whole game of, well, it's not a pissing contest, but like that guy has the clearest and best and purest piss. So I'm going to try to piss (laughs) the same way he is. And then it changes the outcome. Well, I think it's connected to this other issue. And again, I'm not a real NBA media member anymore. I'm just observing from afar. But as far as I can see, it almost seems as though the regular season and the postseason are getting more and more different. They're increasingly different seasons. And so people's sense of who the best player is is more informed by the postseason, but the award is a regular season award. You can see how this is an issue uh, where we're going to often arrive at a trendy pick who then will not perform uh, up to expectations in the postseason. I think Jokic in this case just has a raw deal. There's not enough talent around him. He actually does have a claim to being the best player. I wouldn't pick him as the best player, but he's got a claim to it as far as I can see. Um, But I think he's also catching some flack because he looks unathletic, kind of pudgy looking white guy center he doesn't seem to embody what the league has become with a lot of creativity on the perimeter and everything else so i think that's informing some of the uh the backlash uh as it were after these two losses by the nuggets but yeah i think that's this other issue that's hard to solve which is that maybe it shouldn't be a regular season award maybe you should wait until the very end and then pick the mvp because (laughs) It's more relevant if we're trying to come up with most valuable player. Most valuable player is the player who helps you win a championship, not the player who gets you from 20 wins to 40 wins. So this is a, not something I was even prepared to think about, but you say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very uh, in, in, in touch with the concept you just mentioned. I mean, it's very clear that the regular season for certain teams just really doesn't matter. Um, it's for other teams, it's, uh, it does matter to them, but more so in a way of like, all right, we got to build our tendencies. We got to build our camaraderie, our familiarity with each other. We got to mix and match lineups and, you know, 
when we're in an elimination game in the play-in or in, in the postseason or when, when this matchup doesn't work out, we, we kind of already have some tools in our toolkit, fine, sharpen, we know who we are, blah, blah, blah. See, seeing, seeing it, though, as a true dichotomy of regular season and postseason and how there are different sports and different leagues, that kind of – I mean – the midseason tournament is is a thing that very little basketball people, like tried and true, I love hoop mm. people in the league, don't want to see. Yeah, not like it. It will change the course of history. Blah blah blah. But if you think about it as well, the regular season is already very different than the post than the playoffs. Um, what's a third thing? That's another. Like if you introduce a single elimination thing, like maybe that you're actually that 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 argument or that just thought actually it makes me more of a I've been I've been think I've been of the thought that a midseason tournament wouldn't really work either but thinking mm. about it that way actually makes me believe in it a little bit yeah I'm not going to immediately scoff at it because some of these ideas cooked up by Evan Wash at the NBA seem to have worked out like the Elam ending so <clears throat> like I but I don't want it I don't like the idea of it. It does feel like uh, inflationary in a way of let's just throw more stuff at everybody and they'll like it more. And you end up devaluing the core product. And I think the issue with the NBA is too many games in the regular season. But one of the reasons why Silver and everybody else might not be so keen on making the MVP a, a postseason award is that they fear the devaluation of the regular season and they want guys playing in more games. Silver's voicing that. And so anything you do to take away the status of the regular season might be accelerating this pre-existing problem. I would say, I would say maybe do a regular season MVP and a postseason MVP. And if you win both, yeah. that's just all the more for your resume. Yeah. No, that the the devaluation of the regular season games is the conundrum I think that they care most about for sure. I just also, I mean, to me, I've, I've said this to many NBA employees and they've all laughed. So I will say this here: to me, the only benefit to the midseason tournament is money. Doesn't yeah. really seem to be anything else, right? Like they're not gonna. I don't think league officials and by that i mean like from the league not not team people i don't i don't think nba uh olympic tower you know brass are like trying to wrap their hand their arms around their their, their loved ones and their little mm-hmm. kids and say I, I, don't you remember when we were there lifting the david stern tr- i don't think it's that. <laughs> i mean yeah. I, I it seems to be a well the league the, the, the league lost a ton of money over the yeah. past few years which nobody talks about i guess in part nobody talks about it because the league is advantaged like a lot of super wealthy corporations uh, and super wealthy people are where it can always get a loan because the assumption is that the money spigot is going to get turned on again. So they got a lot of loans to spackle over the losses, but that's got to be a huge motivator that goes unsaid because they want to project some sense of fiscal uh, strength and growth, but it has to be informed at least by just how much money. I mean, it must have been, you think about all the money that was spent on the bubble. Um, you think about just the massive hit they've taken with attendance, uh, which I talked about and reported on, but it seems like other people didn't. And so I think that's got to be a big driving factor is to make up the difference. The league is certainly taking on plenty of crypto dollars. That <laughs> is for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they can, they'll, they'll be steady. They'll sign a new TV deal. It'll be for more money than the last deal. And it, 
again, it's nice. It's nice if you can get loans for just hundreds of millions of dollars, um, and then you can invest some of that money perhaps, and then make money off the investments and just keep it going. Uh, eventually, maybe the entire economy operating this way uh, is a problem, but that's not a problem for the NBA to solve. No, it is not. Um, okay, well, a long problem to solve or questions <laughs> to be asked. Terrible, terrible transition, but um, we are at that 10 minutes till the top of the hour. And I have asked you not, not too many questions, but several questions. Are there, is there anything that uh, they'd like to throw back my way? Wow. Well, I mean, I didn't want to get too personal, but you talked about getting laid off by sports illustrated. I got fired by ESPN, maybe yeah. laid off. It's kind of, um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of unknown. It's, it's Schrodinger's firing basically, um, as to what happened right there. <laughs> Uh, what did that experience, what was that experience like for you? Uh, you know, how was it communicated to you and what do you think about when you look back on it? Um, it was honestly, and fortunately on the whole, uh, a beneficial and positive experience. Um, yeah. and that's, I mean, I think it was for a lot of people who lost their jobs alongside me being that, um, I don't want to say too, too much about the business practices of Sports Illustrated, but mm. I will say that, I mean, it's no secret that the magazine is not the titan that it used to be of the industry. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of reasons why, and a lot of the reasons, um, a lot of the reasons uh, stretch back to how the machine is operated and being oh. loose of that machine has been very liberating. Um, it also pushed me to like really jump into my book, which was like a nice escape and was what I spent the first uh, six months of quarantine writing and like actually allowed me to have something to wake up for every day. So that was like a pretty um, fortuitous uh, yeah bounce of the ball yeah i think if you're of a certain mindset it'll work out better <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> um where if you're if you're going to try to take it in a positive direction you can and you did and i think you know sports illustrated this is a whole other direction that maybe you want to broach and maybe not they really are a are a tremendous failure as a business story um few yeah. few publications were so well positioned to take advantage of the subscription economy I if you had that one. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly if you had that cachet you already were getting people to pay for you um to make yourself a standard website to have clickbait and have ads just look at the new yorker look how much money they're making look how much money new york times is making uh sports illustrated could have done that and they didn't it allowed for the athletic to rise but just what a squandering and i don't think it's been it's been looked at too deeply or if it has i haven't seen it of how one of the premier american magazine brands was just thrown in <laughs> just cheapened thrown uh, thrown aside Maybe one day they'll get it, but they, they just squandered all the cachet they had when they could have actually been quite profitable, unlike so many a publication in, in journalism. I, I think The Ringer did do a kind of a pseudo expose on, I guess, the decline of SI. Um, I, and 
I know from at least one conversation that uh, Bill over there definitely has taken great interest into that topic. Um, I don't know. I think when I was there, we used to talk a lot. Not It wasn't like a daily conversation, but I remember it was something we talked about a lot. We're like, imagine if when we dropped the LeBron, I said we, imagine when Uh SI dropped the LeBron, I'm coming home story with Lee Jenkins. Imagine if that day it was, you can't access this without paying. Oh my God. I mean, that would have been free money. That's just, I mean, (laughs) I'm thinking about it because that was a little bit pre-athletic. So maybe not everybody would totally be comfortable subscribing like that, but I bet you would have gotten, God damn, you could have gotten ballpark in it. I'm going to guess 10,000 subscriptions. And what would the charge be? Let's say the charge was 100 a year. And, you know, you could have gotten a million off that at least. Maybe more. That was just an international seismic story. Yeah. I mean, would that have been possible? Who's to say? But there was just a general, um, there was a general, and it's still, I think, I believe it to be ongoing being that, um, and I, and I want the place to be successful. I really do. And there's still a ton of people there who I worked with many, many hours late into the night that I want to be successful. Um, but like the fact that they're investing in a ton of newsletters right now, when like newsletters have been around for a long, long time. And I think about it, I think about the newsletter world in our MBA little bubble too, being that like, you say you're not an NBA media member, but like obviously the overlap is there. We got Stein. There's you know countless other Substacks that get a, a lot of other attention. Like how like is like I always think how much more room is there on someone's on average NBA consumers monthly expenditure to add yeah. another subscription thing to it, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So like the fact that they're adding in newsletters now and not, not just to say the NBA and I, I don't, I, I believe Chris Herring is the NBA newsletter there. So that's not, that's not a shot. at Chris. They're, they're a little late. They're a little late. They're always, they're always six to 18 months behind. Yeah. That, that was, that, that was the, that was the experience that we always lamented when we were there. That was cool. kind of the driving force behind, I think a lot of the ripple effects of the general lack of success. Yeah. And they didn't need to be. I think a lot of newspapers in this country were just screwed. Uh, There's this dynamic where if you're at the top, if you're one of the premier brands, you can really cash in. The New York Times rakes in money. But these papers and these other cities were shit out of luck. Sports Illustrated was a premier brand. They they had an enviable position. So uh, really malpractice as far as (laughs) how they were run. Uh, I guess the second question I would ask you um, because the show is called Please Don't Aggregate This. Yeah. I almost wrote something on aggregation. I try to mix it up a bit. I don't want everything to necessarily um, apply to the culture war or people not feeling comfortable to say normal things or whatever. Yeah. But there was that instance of Bill Simmons and uh, his podcast and, and KOC's on it and Waz is on it. And they're just shooting the shit. They're getting a little loosey goosey. They're they're just talking regular, and you know, Bill Simmons says, uh, 
God, who who did he say it about? Is this the, the, fu- the fuck someone he said? Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it Jalen Green? Yeah, like oh fuck yeah, Jalen Green. Just, that's who it was. Just colloquial, like not him as a person, but just his case. I think for rookie of the year, and you know, then there was KOC, and he was questioning whether fasting is difficult, and it's like none of it's serious, but it just became this fodder for the aggregation economy, and oh, yeah. you know, I it's a thing where. Um, Every what people are doing makes sense for them, and I guess it's aggregated because uh, it does get clicked on and, and everything else. But it's almost this tragedy of the commons where I do think we get more neurotic podcasting off the aggregation. There's nobody to blame in particular, <laughs> and people might say you guys are to blame because you just shouldn't give a shit and you should just talk however you want to talk. But I just yeah. was curious about your thoughts on on the aggregation economy. The only thing I, the I, only things I care about are what I say being misrepresented or misconstrued, and then for, for two for that for two reasons. One, it gets it gets back in some capacity to an agent or a player or an executive or whoever who then gets mad at me for something that I didn't do yeah. or didn't say. Which to go back to the whole thing about trying to keep relationships alive and whatever, like as much as I don't let like that stuff navigate the work i do like i am trying to still always have good relationships right Mm. so if someone's calling me mad at something that i didn't even say that's a whole that's just waste of time effort you know on their side on my side that just could have been avoided altogether um the other thing is that when they get put into some graphic when it's wrong on instagram Mm -hmm. or nba central or whatever and it takes off like wildfire um, that puts, you know, my, to your underrated aspect or, or comment earlier too, that puts my credibility on the line a little bit when yeah. people then say, Oh, well, Jake Fisher said, like, I still see people say to me, well, you said that Kawhi was going to the Lakers in 2019. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I wasn't reporting on transactions in 2019. So like, I don't know where that's coming from, but a lot of uh, people it, somehow it, think I said that. It's so weird because it'll happen in both ways where there will be, I, I sometimes will see people um, ripping me for something I never said. I sometimes see people ripping me for something I think I never said. And I look back and I actually said it and I forgot. And then there are people <laughs> who will be complimenting me for something I never said, which I don't disabuse them of that in most instances. I just go, okay, that's cool. That's cool that you're, uh, you know, <laughs> giving me credit for something I never said. But it's yeah. so strange to watch, uh, to watch all of that play out uh, but i mean i yeah, do no, try to sorry you go no i was about to say i i got aggregated recently i think i i was on some podcast and i said that espn cheapens everything it touches i meant specifically in the production realm but you don't you don't necessarily have a sense of what's aggregatable but it didn't it no. wasn't because of anything about me it was just that i was a former espn employee unloading yes. on ESPN. I mean, yes. I worked there last worked there in 2017, but it's, it doesn't even occur to you in the moment when you're just talking extemporaneously that that's something that's going to be uh, a, a form of a news story. And it, it was fine. Like, sure. I would prefer that story not to be out there, but it's also fine that it was, it's not that big a deal, but it was just one of those. I had no idea that was going to become a thing. Yeah. I don't really care either. I only care when, it provides people what they think is something to chip at my credibility with when we're already fighting a very big uphill battle when I am 
and you know, working on something and reporting something that might be a little bit different than from what someone else is saying. But what I'm saying, I truly believe is not spin. And what I think the other person is reporting is spin. And also, I mean, I do want to write some more books and do other things that I want people to obviously pay for. So like if the credibility is being questioned based off of something that, you know, some guy tweeted out, quickly listening to the show um that would suck if it would like mm. steer away potential customers let's just be honest who yep. don't want to buy a work of journalism that they don't believe to be a work of journalism and, but the the title really is meant to be tongue-in-cheek because i know that things that are going to be said here are going to mm. get aggregated and i think it will be hilarious to go on website and say we, we, we just want, said on please don't aggregate this <laughs> we just want the ass kissing kind of aggregation that the players and the teams are going for with these mvp awards where if you aggregate and go in a brilliant conversation with jake fisher and ethan strauss they expounded with nuance and deftness in a way that <laughs> we, we were frankly uh just bowled over by and uh then they said and then it'll be the incendiary comment and that can be buried in there i think that's an adequate compromise in my opinion i think so too i think that's a great place to end this um really good talking to you man thank you again for popping on here um is there anything i didn't really introduce you to the the, at the beginning here so uh this has been ethan strauss proprietor writer uh personality of house of strauss um, uh, for Substack, I believe that's also the name of your show here. Um, yep. anything else to correct me on to, to plug? Uh, I'll be coming out with a couple posts this week. You know, I think there will be, let's say, uh, there might be some NBA positivity. I've been critical of the right. NBA, but I think that they got some things going right. So, uh, that's going to be on offer, um, as well as perhaps a potential MLB story later in the week. Very nice, man. Well, again, thank you for the time um, and for giving it for free. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Of course. Thank everyone for listening. I don't know when we'll be back, but shooting for Thursday, something NBA playoff related. And uh, if you aren't already subscribed to Please Don't Aggregate This, um, you can do that here to get all your updates on when we are going live next. And you can subscribe to House of Strauss, too. And I'll be on later tonight, 8 p.m. Uh, 8 p.m. Western time, Pacific time. And uh, by all means, swing by, Jake, if you want, if it's not too much past your bedtime. Although, given the NBA playoffs, I will understand if you don't do that. Uh, um, but I'm, yeah. I'm, pl- I'm playing pickup, and then I'll be home, and I'll pop in. Yeah. Oh, work-life balance. Look at that. All right, man. I, I like, to, I like to, to tune off the NBA world <laughs> for a bit. Yeah. All right. See you, man. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.